0: Hard to believe, but the regular season for Penn State is over. It seems like it just started three months ago. Sam Freeman from the Citizen's Voice here with me, Donnie Collins, from the Scranton Times Tribune on t- this week's episode of the Penn State at Football podcast. And Penn State coming off a 42-0 drubbing of Michigan State, Sam. And it sealed what I think we all thought at the beginning of the season was the probably worst case scenario for this team, which was a 10 and two record. And, and I hate to put it that way because 10 and two is quite an accomplishment. I mean, that you're looking at three times, they've been able to win 10 games in back-to-back seasons since the great 1994 team that went undefeated and and won the Rose bowl. And and you you look at it in almost 30 years, they've won 10 games in back-to-back seasons. Now this is the third time it's a heck of an accomplishment. But at the same time, you know, we've said on this prod- podcast, I've said it myself. Fans aren't going to be happy with with ten and two, and I don't think they are. So I think you know, as we as we look back on it, what is this team right now? It's it, is it a ten and two team that can't beat Michigan and, and Ohio State? Is is that a sign of weakness? I, I I don't really know what it is, but I know that if it wasn't Ohio State or Penn State across from them. Penn State just dominated everybody i mean they won games by an average of 32 points per game this year they they, they were one of the maybe the top defense in the nation I, I i don't see a lot of negatives with that
1: oh no absolutely you you look at you know the penn state's probably going to end up in that uh in that top 10 to finish the season and you know it's hard to argue with that as you said they they have pretty much pounded anybody not named ohio state or michigan all season and you know they 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 fall short against those top two teams, and a majority of teams in in college football will like you said, i I don't think there's anything wrong with with ending as a top ten team. As I said, a majority of the teams would fall to Michigan and Ohio State. A majority of the teams are outside of the top ten. That's just how it is. it's it's a smaller number, perhaps, but not by much. at the same time, I, I can understand why why fans would be. I guess, disappointed with a 10 and two college football and, and sports in general has really become, you know, what have you done for me lately type of uh, situation. And with, with, with 10 and two being the recent history, I can understand when it feels like nothing has been, has been done recently. That's been different. But I mean, we, we've kind of been saying it all season, you know, what, well, while, while 10 and two might be disappointing for people who, 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 you know, are invested in the team and everything. Ten and two is also not something to to be embarrassed by. It's you know, and and maybe that's a moral victory, but you know, it's not just a moral victory. There's there's ten real victories <laughs> baked into that ten and two. That sure, they're not the victories that that you know you you were you were hoping to get at the beginning of the season. But as we said a couple weeks ago, if Penn State finished ten and two with losses to Rutgers and Maryland, it's not like you know people are are feeling much better
0: about it. You look at the 12-team playoff next year, and I thought, you know, this is the year to do it. This is the year to win the championship if you're going to do it because you're not going to have to face one of those top four teams coming off a bye after you've played a tough game. It, it, it's going to be imminently tougher to win the championship next year, and that's by nature because, you know, you look at it and and say, well, you know, those top four teams are going to be probably similar to the top four teams this year. They're very Good programs. They're, they're seasoned programs. They've been there before. And there's a reason they're in the top four facing them coming off a tough game when they're rested, not exactly an ideal situation. But, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, and I'm kind of interested to see where the college football playoff rankings has Penn State this week. I think we all think it's going to be number 10, right? I mean, it's, it's Louisville lost. Penn State was number 11 last week. Louisville was 10. You would think they're going to be 10. So let's for argument's sake, Sam, say there's a 12-team playoff this year. Don't face the number seven team, which is probably, you know, you're looking at Texas. I I think Penn State can handle Texas. I I think that's a good matchup for Penn State. So, you know, the the seven ten winner faces whoever is what, number two the next week. you 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 might be facing Michigan again if you're Penn State in this and this similar scenario and and I don't think Penn State was overwhelmed by michigan i i, I think they just didn't play well on offense so i i think in in, in a way it, it, it's it's tough to go back on on a statement where you know it's it's going to be easier to win a four team turn with a twelve team turn because I still believe that, but a lot of people have said Penn State is kind of the team that's going to be helped the most by. The, the, the new format coming in next year and I don't I don't think this year's team would be in a bad spot in a, in a, in a format like that because look I mean could they beat Ohio State I, I don't know I think they can I don't know you know that's a mental hurdle they have to get over same with Michigan but I like their chances against Florida State or Texas or even Oregon and Washington you know those are you know they've played Bo Nix and Michael Penix before and, and, and played well I, I I like their chances against Bama this year. In a way, this idea that they can't beat Michigan and Ohio State and, the, and that sullies the whole season and people have that view is kind of self-defeating because they're very good programs. And who knows, you might be the third best team in the country. That was a pretty good game between Michigan and Ohio State on Saturday. And Penn State held them both to lower point totals than than they scored in that game against against their respective opponent and, on Saturday. So. I think defensively, Penn State has a shot at winning the championship this year if they're in the tournament. Now, is is that a bad season because they didn't make it? I I, I don't know. I, I I think next year you have a whole different outlook on this, and it might not change that all that much. Maybe Ohio State beats them next year, but if you go eleven and one and make the tournament as a eight seed or a nine seed, is is that a better season than than this year where where you you lost to two of the better teams in the country? I don't know. Your point
1: about Ohio State and Michigan hypothetically, right? Like as you said, Penn State could be the number three team in the country. would i would I stake my money on that? Probably not. But hypothetically, we, we could say Michigan is one Ohio State's two, and we don't know because Penn State hasn't played any of the other teams in that top ten, right? And so i, I think that this twelve team playoff will oh I, I, I don't know that you're you are wrong about Penn State still. You know the 12-team playoff doesn't automatically make Penn State a a national championship favorite or anything like that. But th- this extended postseason allows them to show something different. You know, you, you you can go 10 and two, and you can still go up against you. Know, you still have stuff to play for outside of a, a consolation bowl game, as as they've sort of been you know turned into with the 14-team playoff. You know, if, if Penn State goes 10 and two again next year, they lose to Ohio State and Michigan. And then they they play a Texas, they play a, you know, whoever it may be, and they go and beat them and they advance to the second round and lose, you know, Penn State looks, you know, it feels different, I think it to me, it feels like Penn State, by by advancing in the playoff by playing teams that are ranked ahead of them, because they don't have to play teams like Ohio State and Michigan, you know, it allows Penn State to say, we're closer than it feels like if if that makes any sense, you know, that I, I think it'll, it'll allow for some vindication for people who have been stomping their feet saying 10 and two isn't, isn't a waste of time. 10 and two is worthwhile. And having a 12 team playoff allows you to go 10 and two get into the playoff, play a team that's 11 and one, but played a weaker schedule. And, and, you know, perhaps move on. And, and, and as you said, there you look at the hypothetical bracket and Penn State's defense is top of the country. There, there's so much talent on this team that you know. Who's to say? Who's to say that they they can't get hot and 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 beat some of these five, six, seven teams? You know, and and sure. Do I do I like their chances against a one, a two, a three? Maybe not, but at the same time, they'll have a whole year to reassess. They'll have a whole year of development. They'll have a new offensive coordinator. You know, it it'll, it'll just be. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think there's more opportunity here for at least proving themselves.
0: Yeah, I think my question is, what is it all about? What what do you judge the ultimate success on? Is it beating Ohio State and or Michigan? Is it making the tournament? Is it doing well in the tournament? Because, you know, let's say there's the 12 team tournament and this is all hypothetical. I know this is a, probably a, it's definitely a waste of time. <laughs> That's what all podcasts are. So, but let's say you know Penn State gets in as a number 10 and wins the tournament, but they don't have to face Ohio State and Michigan. You're the best team in the country. You happy with that if you're a Penn State fan? Because the whole argument right now is you know, you're not on Ohio State or Michigan's level. And even winning the tournament, if you don't have to encounter Ohio State or Michigan, you still haven't beaten them. So what what yeah. is, is that what or the other side of it is let's say you you, you beat Ohio State. And you get into the tournament, and you don't beat Texas. So what? You know what? What (laughs) is it at that point? So I, I I just, I I don't know what the goal is right now for this team. I, I really for the program. Other than is it to get into the tournament? Well, it's going to be easier to get into the tournament next year. So the the goalpost has been moved forward for you. Is that a great accomplishment? I don't know. I to to me, probably not. If you get in as a top four, okay that shows you you've made progress. If you get in as a seven, yeah, you could have done that five times in the, in the past <laughs> six or seven years. So I, I, I guess my wonderment here is what is a successful season is is it? it's always that the goalposts are always going to be different here. You, you get in, but you're getting in as you always would have, or, or you get, you're, you're getting in, but you still haven't beaten Michigan or Ohio state. Uh, even no matter what you do in the tournament, is it, is it good enough? And, and other than win the national championship, which is, I think, a ridiculous goal. I'm going to say that straight up. It's, it's a ridic- I, I guess for Ohio State, it's fair. For Michigan, it's fair. For Alabama, for Georgia, for everybody else, I think that's a, a ridiculous goal because you just want to make the tournament. Nobody's making the tournament consistently enough to say, I want to win the national championship. It, it's ridiculous to say, I want to win the national championship when you've never made the tournament. So is making the tournament good enough for Pence? Is is that going to be a good enough deal next year? I I don't know. I I think that's a that's a fair thing to to talk about. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the year 2024 a little bit more. But uh, <laughs> Sam, I want to ask you about the offense on on Friday night. I was going to say Saturday, but on Friday night, what did you see that was different? What did you see that was better? That Wan Sider and Ty Howell and I guess to an extent James Franklin were we're doing with the play calling, with the scheme, with the game planning that you didn't see with Mike Yurisich.
1: You know, I I think that there's there's a couple of things happening. Um you know every everything I'm gonna say from here on out about the Michigan State game has to come with the obvious caveat of it was Michigan. You know, state. it it's it's Michigan State and, and it's not a typical Michigan State. This is a, a Michigan state that's currently sort of rudderless you know with 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 the Mel Tucker stuff going on this season it sort of you know felt like it torpedoed their chances of you know of, of of being the the you know the Big Ten spoiler that they've been in the past or the occasional you know strong Big Ten team but putting that all aside Penn State's offense was clicking I mean it's it's hard to it's hard You you look at the running backs right you correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the first time this year both of them have, both katron and Nick, went over a hundred. Yes. That you know that that's something that we expected to see a lot more often this season. You know, certainly not every game, but we, I mean we've talked about this at nauseum this season about you know, and really, really more so Nick. I mean, K, uh, that's not to 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 that's not to push aside Katron's, uh performance because it was, you know, it was a very strong performance as well. But this was. Sort of atypical for Nick Singleton's 2023. Um, now, again, more caveats. I guess you know when you win 42 to zero, you're, you're you're probably not throwing the ball as much. You're giving the running backs more opportunities because there's not as there's not as much of a need to to score fast. But but still, I mean, it was 15 carries for K-Tron, 18 for for Nick. It's it's not like they were receiving 40 carries, and that's what it took to to, to go over 100 you know, as for the play calling and stuff, you know, it feels a little bit like, like box score watching because, you know, a running back can have a hundred yards and and not play particularly well. I feel like, you know, you, you can just force feed and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I felt like the, the play calling really fit Nick and Katron in a way that hasn't this season. Uh, we sort of touched on that before, you know, when, when diagnosing the issues, but it, it I, I felt like, and I'm just going to focus on Nick. I think because, like I said, Catron has played pretty consistently this season. I, I felt like Nick was able to hit holes in different ways, and 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 you know they 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 played to the strengths of their their personnel, which I, I don't know enough to say is all Mike Yursich's fault. It, it all it all falls on him, but there's probably something to be said about you know the the running backs coach and Jaywan Cider being one of the co-offensive coordinators and all of a sudden uh, you know, the the running backs are clicking a guy that knows them very intimately knows them, you know, he he knows what makes them tick. I mean, he, he's been their guy. He's the head of the lawn boys. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they take over and, you know, Nick and Katron are exactly what we thought they were. That's sort of where I'm at is, you know, drew, I think, you know, obviously drew had a, had a great game. I think he was just under 300 yards. No picks as usual, but but that's sort of what we've seen from Drew this season. I feel like you know, out, outside of the the Michigan and Ohio State games, is takes care of the ball well. He aired it out a little bit. We got to see that occasionally throughout the season. The, to me, the the, the biggest storyline coming out of this game was the running backs and just how well that uh, J Wan and and Coach Howell too. Um, not to not to discredit him either, but the way that both of them harnessed
0: you know really two of their probably most talented players on the roster. So, I, I think what where I came away with this, and and I and I agree, I totally agree. I think they used Nick and Catron in a way that benefits Nick and Catron, and benefits the offensive line. And yeah, they were getting Nick off the edge a little bit more often. They were using Catron between the tackles. It was a it was a really good, solid game plan. And it got me to thinking because the last time, I don't know if you remember, the last time they had an interim play caller was the was the cotton bowl where you know they, they had Tyler Bowen calling the plays because Ricky Ronnie had left what does he do runs the ball incessantly time and time again and they they gain over 300 yards that told me this and I, and I think this is true kind of with all interim play callers these guys know the offense in a different way than the offensive coordinator does offensive coordinator spends his time during the week doing somewhat different things than the position coaches do. So sometimes when the position coach takes over, he looks at it and says, look, I'm not going to call 90 plays here. I'm going to, I'm going to go with my 50 best and we're going to do what I think we do very well and pare it down. And I think that's what cider and Howell have done. That's what Tyler Bowen did in in the cotton bowl. And And I, and I bring up the Bowen game because they've run for more than, 200 yards every one of those three games so that's what you, that's what this team does well that's what the assistants think this team does well they, they run the ball they, they they run it with power they run it with several backs and they run it incessantly and they did it against against Michigan State and look at their passing game even against Michigan State you know everybody the, the, the one play everybody talks about obviously the throw from Aller to Amari Evans and where was he all year Aller throws a 65-yard a bomb and hits him in stride. And there was a couple of catches by Cephas and a couple of catches by Keandre Lambert-Smith. But other than that, it was really the running backs getting the balls in different ways, lining up wide, Drew firing the ball to them, You're getting, getting one-on-one with, with, with those running backs. They ran in the same play twice, once to, each, once to the different sides, once to each different receiver. That's getting them, those guys the ball in space. That's what they should have been. That's the easy throws that every team has that James Franklin was talking about weeks ago that Mike Yurcich wasn't giving them, whether that's his call or whether it was the game plan that James signed off on, whatever it was. But the tight ends had a big game. Warren had a drop, but he had, he had a couple of big catches, scored a touchdown. Theo had a had a really nice game. And they used the Bo Perbula package in a way that should have been used yeah, inside the 10. Clear running situation where you could throw it, you could succeed with a safe pass. That's what Bo Perbula does for you at this point in his career. So I I really liked what what Howell and Cider did because they did some things smartly. They, they they approached it with some intelligence. They didn't just run an offense; they ran situational offense. And, and I don't think Penn State's done that very well all year. Once the T formation became somewhat out of fashion with the coaching staff and I, I, that was the Illinois game and I don't know why they went away from that at times but <laughs> they really didn't have a play call all year that I thought that situation was a, was a really good spot for that even some of their reverse passes in bad spots they were they're just running plays off a sheet and I, and I think Cider and Howell really put some thought into this and really put an idea that we can, we can gain some advantages by the play calls in this where uh, we're in and, and where we're at on the field and the down distance, and distance and a lot of things like that and get the ball into the hands of your best players. This team, the receivers aren't the best players and and that's not saying they won't be next year. It's not saying they haven't been in the past, but in this team, they're not. So get the ball in space to Allen, get it to Nick Singleton, use the tight ends. And, and I think that's really where cider and Howell have, have excelled to me. So I want to ask you this, Sam, why wouldn't they be very high contenders to be the next offensive coordinators at Penn State? Why wouldn't this work long term? And I and I know the answer. I would love to ask James. There's no press conference this week, but I would love to have asked James, do you think sharing play calling duties or whatever the, the shared responsibility is between these two could work over the long term? Because look, I don't think this is a bad idea. Jaywan Sider has been on the staff. He's earned the promotion. He recruits the heck out of Florida, which Penn State has never been able to do. He's brought in a lot of these guys. Nick Singleton would not be at Penn State. Catron Allen would not be at Penn State if it's not for Jaywan Sider. Ty Howell has earned his shot here. He's coaching the position where these guys have been really, really good. Now, did he bring in all of those guys? No, but he's coached them up. He's made every one of them better. Tyler Warren was a high school quarterback and he's really developed under under Ty Howell. So I think these two guys have earned it. Why go out and, and bring in somebody who who might not be as good when we've just seen you've gotten the best guy you could possibly have gotten in Mike Yersuch. And at the time, I'm not overstating that Mike Yersuch was the best guy. He was a home run higher and he struck out. Why not just give these guys a chance? Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I think you make a really good case, especially because like, like you said, they, they know the, the, the ins and outs, the, the inner mechanisms of, of, of the offense. And specifically, you know, the skill sets of the individual players. Cause like you said, they spend so much time with them and they've cultivated these specific skill sets, you know, and, and so, so regardless of, no, I, I think that there's, there's no reason not to consider them. You know, it shouldn't be a foregone conclusion that, you know, we're, we're just using J1 and, and, and Howell and just moving on after that you know, they very well could. And, and you know, I, I bet they probably will. But I think that I graduated with a journalism degree. Um, but I also graduated with a political science degree. And a lot of my classes were, they revolved around terrorism. And so a lot of the the classes I took were the politics of terrorism, the psychology of terrorism, all sorts of things like that. And, you know, one thing that I noticed was in the difference in the way some of these classes were taught by different people. So on one side, there were the, the academics about terrorism. So the, the people that have studied it their whole life, you know, they've, they've run research and experiments and, and, and done studies and everything like that. And they, they have a faraway version of what terrorism is. And then I had some professors that were practitioners. You know, they were counterterrorism experts in some fashion. They were, you know, they worked for the government or they worked, you know, boots on the ground and it, they were veterans of some kind. Um, and they were sort of practitioners. Right. And so there, there was a difference in and I'm not saying there's there's one right or wrong way to look at this complex issue. But, you know, there, there's there's an academic view and a practitioner view. And I wonder if there, there was a little bit of that going on with the offense. And I know that may be a a, a, a a, stretch of a metaphor, but, you know, perhaps your is is an academic in, in the sense of the offense. You know, this is how things should work. You know he he's separated from the offense. He's scheming things out. He's very schematic and he's figuring out what should work in these situations. Drew is an athletic quarterback. When he improvises, he he can make stuff happen. So you know Drew Drew can run. He's got legs. Let's let's draw up a bunch of designed runs. Um, you know as we saw, I don't I don't think Drew was particularly successful on on a majority of those designed runs to to the degree that they wanted. I think they were trying to run him like Sean Clifford runs. And they're just not the same quarterback. However, when he improvises, I mean, Drew's not an unathletic quarterback by any means. So you, you get J-1 and you get Ty Howell in there as as the, the practitioners. And, and rather than, you know, looking at the offense for what it should be, they look at it for what it is. You know, this this is what they – this is what, for whatever reason – Drew is an athletic quarterback and the design runs aren't working. So rather than keep hammering this into the wall, it should work. It should work. It should work. Hypothetically, we're going to look at it. It's, we're going to look at this and say, it's not working. Let's, let's, let's do something else.
0: Yeah. I mean, James, one of the things he kept saying was we need to be more collaborative. And I think it was a shot at years in a way because it, it does sound like the Inference there is he called his own game, no matter what was going on in the field, no matter what the input was. But if you want collaborative, build a system that's collaborative. This is one of them. Now, it, Mike Tomlin did it, and I love Mike Tomlin. I I think he's one of the, the best who's ever done it. They, they fired Matt Canada. And what he does is he puts his running backs coach in charge of the game plan and his quarterback's coach in charge of calling the plays. And people were like what were you why why would you do that and he said it seems natural to me because the strength of the pack is the pack so if, i think the strength of franklin's staff is how deep they are they they get along really well they they have a, a a very good sense of of what they are and what they need and they haven't really put it over the top on offense they did on defense because of manny manny diaz changed everything for that defense because he took them from hey we're very good to hey we're dominant. We're absolutely every play a dominant outfit. But they hadn't gotten that with the offense yet, but I think what these guys do and what assistants tend to do, they it's, they tend to know the little things that make you complimentary. And all Penn State's offense has to be is complimentary and The thing about that is they have the pieces that they should be complimentary. They have two great running backs. They have a a quarterback who could be one of the best in the country if he develops properly. They have tight ends that could really play. They have an offensive line that's solid. Now, next year, do they have a couple of receivers who develop? You would hope. You have a chance to be complimentary, at least on offense. So why wouldn't you hire the guy who's going to come in and be complimentary? And, And I think that that cider and Howell would be that complementary and collaborative. I I, I think that's a, a really good combination. It worked here, worked in in the Cotton Bowl. You know, everybody wants them to go out and, and hire the top guy you can get. I, I kind of like what they have, and and the the drawback there is it kind of changes what Jaywan and Ty Howell could do in their position groups. I don't know how that affects everything going forward, but. I, I kind of think, you know, you've gone out and gotten the hot name twice now and it hasn't worked. Go out and promote somebody who deserves it. And and I, I think James Franklin has a has a chance to do that here. I don't think he will. I, I think in the next couple of days we're gonna find out who he's hired and it's it's going to be a an outside the organization name and it's gonna be somebody that everybody's gonna be talking about one way or the other. And 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 that's gonna make a splash. It's gonna draw headlines. And I don't think J Wan and or Howell or some collaborative effort between the two of them is going to draw many headlines. I think it might draw some criticism, but I, I think it might be the right move. Sam, we'll come back in the next segment and we'll talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. I don't know about yours. That being why the media shouldn't be allowed to vote on anything. we we'll be back in a second. We're back with the second half of the Penn State football podcast for this week. And we're going to talk about, like I said, something that I felt strongly about. And I try to stay out of it. I, I end up voting in a lot of awards because as a football writers member, you get asked to do that. And some of them are, are really well done. And, and I try to limit my uh, participation to the ones that I that I think are generally given to the right person. I I don't vote on all Big Ten teams because I think they're a popularity contest and the all Big Ten team came out Tuesday the uh, defense and special teams anyway and I I want to get your thoughts Sam on that because we'll get to the Broyles award in a second that came out on Monday that's a whole different barrel of fish to shoot into because it didn't include Manny Diaz but the all Big Ten teams did you have any issues with who ended up on the defense Uh, there was only one consensus First team player from Penn State, and it was Chop Robinson. Adisa Isaac first on the media team. Abdul Carter, first team on the coaches team. But really that was that was it for Penn State on the first team. And, and I found that interesting because Penn State led the nation in defense. And some of the better players, especially Isaac, I thought was a a guy who could have been a consensus guy. I I thought at least one of the defensive backs, Johnny Dixon not being on, I think it was the media team in any regard other than an honorable mention as a joke because Johnny Dixon, I could argue was the best defensive back Penn state had. What, what, what are your thoughts on, did you pay much attention to those? I, I tend not to, and I wouldn't pay any attention to it at all if I didn't have to write about it, honestly, because I, I think they generally are a popularity contest and and that's not just the big 10. That's usually when somebody in the media has to, has to vote on something. They're very easily campaigned for and, and and i'll give some examples in a, in a couple of minutes but i, I want to hear your thoughts on 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 the uh, all big 10 teams
1: yeah i mean i'm I'm never really a fan of of the you know the 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 all media voting awards for, for the exact reasons you said but also i just i i find it hard to believe that media members are watching every team in the big 10 you know i don't have the whole team in front of me the whole first team in front of me right now but you know, who's to say there's not a, you know, there's not a player at Illinois that's just not getting the shine because it's a, you know, it's a small school in the, in the, in the conference comparatively. And, and Illinois didn't have a great season, you know, sort of getting lost in the shuffle. Uh, As, as for individual players, I I was happy to see Adisa Isaac uh, on the media first team. And then the, even the second team with the coaches, I, I kind of, I kind of thought Adisa was going to get lost in the shuffle, but thought that he definitely deserved, uh, you know, top of the top billing. You know, Chop, you knew, was going to be a consensus first team. Um, I was a little bit surprised that the media had Abdul fall to the second team. But, you know, linebacker is a pretty dense position, I guess, in the conference. But but yeah, I think Johnny Dixon is probably the the, the biggest name that stands out especially cuz like you said I I probably would make the argument that Johnny Dixon has at least played on the same level as Kalen as King this season. Certainly not, you know, on the media team, two teams short of Kalen King's performance this season. Uh, it's no shot at Kalen King. It's just that Johnny Dixon has played, you know, very well in his in his secondary role. But yeah, I mean I I I don't put a ton of stock into these awards just just because You know, over time, for me, they they've really lost their their luster. You know, when I was younger and I was consuming college football in a different manner, you know, I I put a lot more stock into the college football awards. Uh, You start to see, you you start to live in in the in the media world for a little bit, the ecosystem, and you start to realize it's not that it's an unimportant award. It's good for the players. It's good to get recognition. You know, I'm all for players getting you know, the honors and everything like that. But I, I don't know that it means as much as, as, as I thought they did.
0: That's one thing I really looked forward to when I, when I got my job was oh, I get to vote on some of these awards. And, and, you know, it started in the International League when I was covering minor league baseball. And you get to vote for the league MVP, the all league team at the end of the year and, and, and things like that, because you're covering every game. And these guys really want you to vote because, again, you're seeing every player especially when you're, you're on the road and, and, and doing things like that. It, it, it's hard when you're not seeing every team. And, and I'll give you a, a really good example here on the, on the media team. And I'll focus on the media team. The coaches team, who knows what goes into that. That's, a, that's craziness. We don't have a say in that. But the media team, you, you kind of do. And defensive backs on the, on the all-conference media team, Cooper DeGene, did not have as good a season as Johnny Dixon did. He just didn't. And Iowa, he's he's the Iowa cornerback, and he came into the season with all, all sorts of hype, and he deserved a spot on the second team. That's where I'd have, I'd have voted for Cooper to But he got a spot on the first team, which doesn't surprise me because everybody talks about him as an NFL guy. Everybody talks about him, what he's done in the past. But he didn't have that kind of a season this year. And I think Iowa generally has gotten extremely overrated defensively And again, we'll talk about that when we talk about the Broyles Award. But the other Iowa defensive back, Sebastian Castro, is on the second team. And certainly, could you tell me one thing Sebastian Castro did all year? And he played Penn State, (laughs) and he was on the field all night. Could you tell me anything about Sebastian Castro? I can tell you one thing about him, and I'll tell you why he got on the team.
1: I certainly couldn't.
0: Okay. He got on the team because Football Writers Association of America members of which I am one got a notebook last week with Sebastian Castro and Cooper DeGene on the front of it. And I'm telling you, he got on the team because of that. People voted for the guy. And I'm not, I don't, I and all I'm saying is I saw a game where he played in and Iowa's defense was on the field for 90 plays. And I can't tell you one thing the kid did. I can't. But I can tell you what Mike Sandra still did. He's a he's a good player. I can tell you Will Johnson. I can tell you. A, you know, Denzel Burke's really good but those are guys who weren't consensus guys on on, on the first team for either of them and you know look and, and I I'm not trying to look at it from a Penn State perspective I had my list of guys who I thought should have been on the first team and I think I was me personally and you, you could disagree with this you, I, I personally thought Johnny Dixon belonged on the first team over Kalen King I, I really thought that Dixon had a more impressive overall season
1: yeah I mean. Yeah. I, I I frankly agree
0: with you. Yeah, so, so he, the first team on the media look it's it's a popularity contest to a degree but they got some of this right. I I, I would have voted Johnny Newton from from Illinois. I would have voted Isaac and Chop Robinson and they all three of them got on. But JTT got on too from Ohio State. I didn't think JTT had a dominant year. He wasn't better than some of the Michigan guys. He wasn't better than Chris Jenkins. You know, he, he was I I didn't I didn't think he was necessarily a a dominant player this year, better than Mason Graham. You know, so I, I JTT's on because he's JTT. He didn't, you know, go look at the numbers, numbers don't bear it out. Yeah. You know, and, and the linebackers, you're just writing down who had the most sacks and who had the most tackles. Everybody, I remember there was a player many years ago, and, and I'm going to get criticized for this out in Chicago if the, t- the three people who are listening out there, but. Northwestern had a player many years ago. I don't know if you remember a Barry Gardner. And all Barry Gardner had to do was be within the 53 and a third yards of the tackle. And he was getting credit for the tackle. The guy had something like 170 tackles one year. It was, he it was nuts. And he ended up playing, he was a good player. He ended up playing in the NFL for a little bit, but that was the joke that if Barry Gardner could sneeze on the pile. He was getting credit for the tackle, and they did that for a reason. They wanted the tackle numbers to be high because they thought he was a really good player and wasn't getting any attention those first couple of years. And that's kind of Jay Higgins from Iowa. Iowa's getting too many players on the first team. They just are. Jay Higgins is not a. He's not as good a player as Abdul Carter. He's not as good as player as Bryce Gallagher from Northwestern. Eichenberg got on the team. He's a he's a popular guy because he's. He's an Ohio State kid, but I, I I don't think Eichenberg played very well against Michigan. I don't think he played great against Penn State. He, he's had some down games this year, so I I think a lot of guys vote on this and look at the stats specifically and say who is the sack leader, who has who is the tackles leader. Well, they have to be on, but no, they don't. They don't have to be on. They you have to put the best players on, and 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 I think frankly, some people just look at who who are the top draft eligible guys next year we'll put them on whether they had a great season or not and I, I just think that the word i guess the word i'm looking for is it's 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 very impressionable to just kind of go out and and, and campaign for some of these guys for some of these schools and that's their job but are you telling me half the team half the best players on defense in this league playing the big 10 west I, I bet you i could beat the first team with the second team defense I, I I really believe that. It, the second team defense has some of the best players in the league. Jenkins, Jack Sawyer is a pretty Tyleek Williams deserved to be on the first team. The defensive tackle from Ohio State. Junior Colson was on there from Michigan. I think it's like Gallagher, Abdul Carter, Denzel Burke, and Kalen King are on the second team. What are we doing? And 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 I know this matters zero. Zero. There's about five people who will put this on a resume. But it, it's aggravating, and, and and it and it's especially aggravating when you look at the the Broyles Award, which announced the five finalists this week for top assistant coach this year, and Manny Diaz isn't on it, but Phil Parker from Iowa is. And again, I'm going to sound like I'm nitpicking on Iowa here, and I am I'm not nitpicking. I'm I'm outright criticizing. Iowa got embarrassed by Mike Yurish's offense. It was it was pushed around, shoved around bullied every which way you can describe that that's what happened and then you look at what manny diaz did to iowa and it was a it was a clinic it was a it was a domination and manny diaz's defense did that to to everybody and i i get it if you're not going to put manny on put five better guys on but i i would have bet coming into the week that manny diaz would have won that award and for him to not be among the finalists i i, I don't know how that happens what are these people watching?
1: Yeah, that one that one's baffling to me. Um, I tried to come up with you know, a devil's advocate view of why Iowa should have gotten the nod over Penn State. Um It's hard to do. It's impossible. Yeah, I yeah, I mean I mean the best thing I could come up with is that they ended up the winners of the Big Ten West, but you know
0: great, you know you know what I mean? it's it's it's, <laughs> it's not what would what would uh, Penn State's defense be ranked right now? It's ranked, it's ranked number one, but what would the numbers look like if they played their schedule in the Big Ten West?
1: Oh, exactly. It, it would be, well, and that's the thing, right? Is the knock against Penn State's offense this year has been, you know, the offense played fine, other than Ohio State, and Michigan, and they played really well in that Iowa game. So, so if if that knock against Penn State is, and somewhat understandable that Penn State's offense is only good against the weak teams, well, what, what does that make Iowa's defense? You know what I mean? And, and I'm not even making the case that Manny Diaz should win the award because, you know, who knows? But, but there's, there's too simple of a comparison to be made between Penn State's defense and Iowa's defense. Like you said, a, a now-fired offensive coordinator lit up the defense of – one of the nominated coaches while
0: <laughs> the the snubbed coach
1: pitched a shutout.
0: It's it's the narrative. It's, you know, oh, Iowa's so good defensively. Well, are they? Or are they just playing really bad teams? And and I, I think that's really more what it is. And if go back I, I challenge anybody who voted on that. Go back and watch that game. It was comically embarrassing for Iowa. And I know you don't judge it on one game, but what's the other game you're judging Iowa on this year? They didn't have to play Michigan or Ohio State to my. I don't think they played either team. I, I think they had the, <laughs> a really great schedule to go undefeated if they could have gotten past Penn State. But I don't think anybody who watched that game would have thought that in a 100 meetings, Iowa would beat Penn State even once. And this is not a great Penn State offense, but again, and maybe it's a, a lesson for Penn State fans here, too. If you're judging this as oh, that's a that's a really bad Penn State offense. It was still better than anybody else Iowa faced. All year, I mean, they they didn't do anything against Penn State's offense. I I, I just think Manny Diaz deserved it. I I, I do. And he would have he would have had my vote. That's one of the awards I don't vote on is the the Broyles Award. That's a that's a committee, I believe. Uh, You know, that's more of an I was I was kind of surprised some of the names on the on the list of voters when I went and looked it up because people who you would think would know better but evidently didn't uh people you would think watch the games (laughs) so yeah i i don't understand why why it happened this way and and look i'm not not getting too upset over the all big 10 teams 13 penn state players were on the all were on one of the teams (laughs) and there's only 11 starting but i think that yeah, you, you look at it, and it's, it just doesn't hold the cachet it used to because there's two different teams and four different teams among those two different teams, and it, there's just a lot of opportunities for anybody to get a vote. But when you look at some of the guys who are getting votes, it's it's kind of comical. Sam, next week, big week next week. You know why? How come? <laughs> it's the the baseball winter meetings start. <laughs> so I always – I'm, I'm a much bigger baseball guy. So the baseball winter meetings start, and – that's where all the, the off season transactions really start moving. You you see the free agent signings. You see a lot of the trades, you see a lot of the roster building. And I think it's interesting this year that next week is also the opening of the transfer portal in college football, because it's really the same thing. Now it's roster building by coaches. It's roster building by players they are throwing themselves out. Everybody's a free agent every year. Now, if you really want to be and, I want to know if you're as troubled by this as I am. And I, I know it's the easy thing to say now. Well, any kind of change is, is bad. It, 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 and I'm not saying that. I, the transfer portal is definitely the legal thing to have. I mean, a, a, a traditional college student can go to four different schools as long as their credits transfer and graduate from one and, and do whatever they want to do in that regard. So why shouldn't the starting quarterback be allowed to do the same? And now they are, and, and I get that. And, and it's, it's probably technically, legally, constitutionally, all those things, yada, 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 the right thing to do. But it's killing the game, in, in my opinion. It's killing college football, and it's, it's way more damaging than, than some of these kids' think. Now, you're, you're, you're going to look at it, and, and all you see are the success stories. Chop Robinson transfers out of Maryland, comes to Penn State, elevates himself, in Manny Diaz's scheme becomes one of the best pass rushers in the country he's probably going to be a first round pick in April and he's you know he's not, he doesn't have to graduate I don't know if he is or not he might have enough credits I don't know but he he doesn't have to do any of that because his chosen profession is football and he's going to be able to because he transferred in part he's going to be able to succeed but I saw somebody posted this morning and I'm going to read it verbatim and I, I, th- I think it was Brian Doan from 24-7 who made it just made a a great point and i'm gonna read his tweet verb or x or whatever they call him now i don't know what that's saying what do, what do they call these things x's i'm gonna read his x <laughs> verbatim i've said this each of the last few years and i shall do so again there are a lot of players heading into the portal who have no idea they've suited up for a football game for the last time the reason i brought up the baseball winner meetings is because that's kind of how i look at these guys when when i see somebody has entered the portal i think because I cover Penn State, would this guy be a fit at Penn State? Is this somebody I could see them going after? And that makes it a lot more fun. It, like makes it more fun for me. makes it more fun for the fans, I'm sure, to follow along. It's an extra recruiting season, and fans love recruiting. But there are going to be some guys who don't get picked up. And I looked at – and now the Temple starting quarterback, Warner, threw for like 3,000 passing yards last year. And he entered the portal. He's giving up a sure starting job. To bet on himself. And I hear that a lot. You're betting on yourself. Is that always the right thing to do? There's, there's all these advisors, I guess they call them, but really they're just people either paid to be close or are family members who are definitely close to these players who believe in them maybe more than they really, and the grand scheme, anybody else in the world does. Is that the right person to be taking? advice from if, if you're leaving a sure bet job and, and people get picked from small programs division two II, division three all the time everybody's always looking for that new opportunity that next best place to be that more nil money whatever is this a good thing because people are benefiting from it but they're also that other side of it where you're giving up something that's sure and getting nothing in return. And there is another, a third side of it too. Where coaches are telling kids. You know, you're know, you not going to play here. Why don't you just go in the portal. And that's not beneficial necessarily to the kid. Who's being told you can't go to school here anymore. Essentially because you're on scholarship. They're also being told you're not going to play. And that's what you're here for. So why don't you just go somewhere else. I, and, and it's to manage the roster. It's to go find something better maybe if they want to. I, I The whole thing is it, it bothers me. It's it, it just.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you brought up a, a bunch of good points. Uh, certainly the, you know, the, the fairness aspect on 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 the player autonomy side, I think, is, is a good thing, right? Like, you, you brought up that, you know, when I was in school, I could have just packed my things and, and moved to the West Coast because I wanted to. And, you know, why should, you know, some, some wide receiver not be able to do that if he so desires? You know, he misses back home. He wants to go back home. Sure but as you said from a football perspective, I don't know that I don't know that every transfer is created equally um, like you said you, you see it you know a couple times a year where somebody enters the portal presumably they don't get a ton of attention and then they either try to return or they just dissipate you know we, we don't really hear from them as much again. You know, or they, they go to some tiny school, the only place that they could really get get a look. And I mean, I guess from from the perspective of autonomy, I guess you have the right to make that decision. You have a right to make a, a decision that ends up poorly for yourself. So I, I, I guess I get confused as to why some players choose to, to move around. I mean, you look at like Joe Burrow at Ohio State. It makes sense why somebody like him would go seek out a potential starting job at LSU right? That, that's, it's not a, a massive step down. You're still getting eyes and, and you weren't going to get that opportunity at Ohio, at Ohio State. You know. And as, as you said, I don't know if he was being told by the coaching staff there, hey, there's no room for you. If you want to play college football, you're going to have to go somewhere else. And, and I at least appreciate the, the upfrontness about that. So, so a, a kid's not wasting their eligibility sitting somewhere they're not going to end up playing. I I do have two two not I don't I don't want to say concerns cuz I'm not a decision maker so you know it it doesn't lay at my feet but the two things that I think about fairly often are number one it was a point that you brought up which is you know the the NFL finds you if you're a player that's going to go play in the NFL you're 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 going to be found even if on your college roster you aren't the top dog if the NFL thinks they can find something you know they'll they'll go for it. I mean, who? It was a couple of years ago. The Patriots. Now this is a it's the Patriots, and it's a uh, it's a bit of a stretch, I suppose. But it was a couple of years ago in the second round. Bill Belichick selected Kyle Duggar from I don't remember where he played. It was like Lenwar Ryan. and I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation. But, but but that's an example, right? And I'm not saying. You know, bank all your your money on on that possibility but that that's an example that they will find you um if, if you're flashing in in your opportunities they'll find you so so you know sometimes i feel like people jump the gun and, and the idea of being a starting caliber player but if you're a starting caliber player but playing in a rotation it's not the worst thing in the world if the opportunities aren't there elsewhere it's i guess what i'm trying to say and and then my second concern is I bet it's happening more often than we think, uh, and I frankly think it's happening fairly often. Uh, is is coaches contacting other players prior to entrance into the portal? I, I think about when Jordan Addison left Pitt. You know, he he wasn't officially in the portal, and then all of a sudden he's at USC before Pitt even knows what hit him. And I'm not saying Jordan Addison shouldn't have been allowed to go to USC. He was probably a first-round pick before he went to USC, but maybe he wanted to chase a national championship. He wanted to play with a, a Heisman uh, a Heisman winner in Caleb Williams. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a ton of oversight in this transfer portal. I don't know that there's a consistent set of rules. To me, that would have been one where, you know, you, with all the investigations, and the NCAA does, they didn't investigate that one. It, it's sort of, it, it just makes me question why. I, I don't know how the NCAA makes certain decisions. I don't know why they make certain decisions. And, and if it doesn't matter to them, I guess it doesn't matter, but I, I I don't know why there are rules if they don't.
0: I I think one thing you said that I wanted to emphasize is leave. If you don't have the opportunity, Joe Burrow, I get it. Joe Burrow made the right decision. Joe Burrow was not going to play at Ohio state. Evidently Justin Fields was there. They were bringing in uh any number of you know five-star quarterbacks to compete. You know they weren't quarterback needy. If they tell Joe Burrow, hey, you got to go somewhere else, and or you're not going to play here. Of course, Joe Burrow should have the right to go somewhere else, and it worked out for him. Now, not a lot of guys entering the portal now. I would I would assume are Joe Burrow, but they all think they are, and you know I I think when when I see a guy who starts number one and number two had success and they're at a smaller program I think well good for them out of high school they found the situation that worked for them and I have, I, I have a big problem with suddenly because it's convenient for you turning your back on the small program that believed in you to go to a bigger one that's going to offer you some NIL money and going to promise you hey, a chance to compete and obviously in your mind, a chance to compete. I'm going to win that competition. It doesn't always happen that way. I think it's about 50, 50. I I think this generally works out well for some guys and very badly. And and there's really no in between. And, and Penn state, I think looking just at them, they do a pretty good job of finding guys that they know could come in and and play and they don't have to promise them something that they don't know they can give them. Hunter Norris adds a good example yeah, you know, he, He's a guy who's got an Ivy League education, so why not just come in and, and see what you can do? He's already got the education. He's already proven what he can do at that level. Same with uh, Mitchell Tinsley, uh, a, a guy like that to, to bring him in. The kickers, I think that's a great way to use the portal. Just keep finding a kicker every year. You don't have to go out <laughs> recruit somebody. I, I, I love that use of the portal. I think Penn State uses the portal pretty well. You're not going to hit 100%, but if you're hitting about 90, and I think Penn State is – and and they're they're finding complementary pieces and not star pieces. But you are and you did mention the Addison thing is a is a is a great example. Well, how did he end up at USC when the situation for him was good at Pitt? We all know it's money. It's the, the answer to every question in sports now, and it's drizzled down to college sports now. It it's money. No, the answer is always money. He ended up there for money because USC could offer him some more money than Pitt could. And and I don't know if that's always the right thing for a kid to be doing. And and it's one thing for me to sit here and say, yeah, a kid should turn down money when it's there. That's not always the right thing for them to do either. But I'm not sure going to USC helped Jordan Addison out a ton. Look, I I think the transfer portal is probably – a really good thing if nil doesn't exist and i think nil is a really good thing if the transfer portal doesn't exist but hand in hand they're a monster because you you now have free agency and it's a and i'm not saying anything that hasn't been said many times but go go on to x or twitter or, or whatever you call it go on to whatever social media thing you use and, and and look up transfer portal and and see the amount of guys who are who are going in and see the type of guy that's going in it's it's kids turning their back on a program that believed in them when nobody else did. And the response is always going to be, I, I, but I believe in myself. Well, you got to have someone else believe in you too. Somebody on the outside to believe in you and and give you that opportunity. And you know, this whole, I'm betting on myself thing. Well, you've already bet on yourself, you've picked a program coming out of high school. And if you're playing the bet worked, it, it it just has. I mean, I mean, you think Bo Prabula couldn't have gone to Temple and started or, you know, Minnesota and started the Minnesota starting quarterback is in the portal. Michigan State lost three quarterbacks to the portal. Someone has, that's an opportunity. One of those guys could have had just stay there. And I'm, I'm sure, look, it, it works both ways. I'm sure the coaches said, you're not in the plans. You're not in the plans. You're not in the plan in some cases, but not necessarily all bothers me. And, and you're, you're right. You said this. You're an American. You have the right to do what you want to do, to take your fortune into your own hands and make the best of it, or sometimes the worst of it, because that's part of it, too. You're not guaranteed anything, and that's part of betting on yourself, too. But I, I, I just think sometimes you, you have an opportunity you should be happy with, and the opportunity is not always better somewhere else. That's my my one thing I'll say about the transfer portal is that it, that it bothers me that the kids will leave a smaller program to try to go to a bigger one when the smaller program can get them where they want to go anyway. They just can't give them the money. And that's when I, when I look at NIL, when I look at the portal, I think that's where my issue lies and that's where it hurts college football because you're going to have a very, and it's, it's trending that way. Anyway, you're going to have a very top heavy game. And I'm not sure that that's great for the health of the game overall. I'm not sure it's great for opportunities in college athletics, but I know what's it's great for. It's great for the networks. It's great for the, for the big 10. And it's great for the sec.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right. It's the, uh, it's the saying about casinos, right? If you hit big, get out of the casino. Um, you know, it's, it's only a matter, matter of time before the luck runs out. And, you know, if, if you, if you play the lottery and you win the lottery, it's maybe not the smartest to put most of those winnings back into the lottery, you know, take your winnings and, and make sure that, you can you can develop that into into something that you can use
0: I don't know maybe I come from a different time you you, you dance with the girl you brought to the prom I, I that's and I'm not saying not everybody makes that great decision coming out of coming out of high school but somebody does and some people do and like there's some guys on the on the Penn State roster I think should probably consider transferring but there's others who I think probably are considering transferring and i I, I don't know any I have no background information but i i would i would think there are guys who are starting who are on the cusp of starting who are thinking yeah hey, maybe i'll go there and, and maybe they've been contacted by other coaches and if so shame on them and shame on the system i i just i think it's i think it's a very very bad situation that the ncaa has to get a hold of and i have no confidence in the ncaa to get a to get a hold of this sam sam thanks so much for your time this week for for joining us again on the on the podcast we'll have A lot more to talk about next week. I'm I'm sure there will be an offensive coordinator in place by the time we meet again next week. And we'll have a lot more to talk about because the portal will be heating up and bowl week is is coming up. So, Sam, thanks so much for joining us this week. and, And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. For Sam Freeman, I'm Donnie Collins. Thanks so much to all of you for joining this week. And we'll talk to you again very soon.